Atomic Habits Introduction Part 2 I was rolled out of the emergency room doors and toward the helipad across the street. The stretcher rattled on a bumpy sidewalk as one nurse pushed me along while another pumped each breath into me by hand. My mother, who had arrived at the hospital a few moments before, climbed into the helicopter beside me. I remained unconscious and unable to breathe on my own as she held my hand during the flight. While my mother rode with me in the helicopter, my father went home to check on my brother and sister and break the news to them. He shocked back tears as he explained to my sister that he would miss her 8th grade graduation ceremony that night. After passing my siblings off to family and friends, he drove to Cincinnati to meet my mother. When my mom and I, and I landed on the roof of the hospital, a team of nearly 20 doctors and nurses sprinted onto the helipad and welded me into the trauma unit. By this time, the swelling in my brain had become so aware that I was having repeated post-traumatic seizures. My broken bones needed to be fixed, but I was in no condition to undergo surgery. After yet another seizure, my third of the day, I was put into a medically induced coma and placed on a ventilator. My parents were no strangers to this hospital. Ten years earlier, they had entered the same building on the ground floor after my sister. After my sister was diagnosed with leukemia at age three, I was five at the time. My brother was just six months old. After two and a half years of chemotherapy treatments, spinal taps and bone marrow biopsies, my little sister finally worked out of the hospital happy, healthy, and cancer-free. And now, after 10 years of normal life, my parents found themselves back in the same place with a different child. While I slipped into a coma, uh, the hospital sent a priest and social worker to comfort my parents. It was the same priest who had met with them at the said earlier. On the evening, they found out my sister had cancer. As they faded into a night, a series of machines kept me alive. My parents slept restlessly on a hospital mattress. Uh, one moment they would collapse from fatigue, the next they would be wide awake with worry. My mother would tell me later, it was one of the worst nights I've ever had. 
my recovery. Mercifully, by the next morning, my breathing had rebounded to the point where the doctors felt comfortable releasing me from the coma. When I finally regained consciousness, I discovered that I had lost my ability to smell. As a test, a nurse asked me to blow my nose and sniff an apple juice box. My sense of smell returned, but to everyone's surprise, the act of blowing my nose forced air through the fractures in my eye socket and pushed my left eye outward. My eyeball bogged out for the sockets, hair put circuitously in place by my eyelid, and the optic nerve ash attacking my attaching my eye to my brain. The ophthalmologist said my eye would gradually slide back into place as the air seeped out. But it was hard to tell how long this would take. I was scheduled for in surgery one week later, which would allow me some additional time to heal. I looked like I had been on the wrong end of a boxing match, but I was cleared to leave the hospital. I returned home with a broken nose, half a dozen facial fractures, and a bulging left eye. The following months were hard. Uh, it felt like everything in my life was on pause. I had double vision for weeks. I literally couldn't see straight. It took more than a month, but my eyeball did eventually return to its normal location between the seizures and my vision. Problems, it was eight months before I could drive a car again at physical therapy. I practiced basic motor partners like walking in a straight line. I was determined not to let my injury get me down, but there were more than a few moments when I felt depressed and overwhelmed. I became painfully aware uh, of how far I had to go when I returned to the baseball field one year later. Baseball had always been a major part of my life. My dad had played minor league baseball for the St. Louis Cardinals and I had a dream of playing professionally too. After months of rehabilitation, uh, what I wanted more than anything was to get back to the field. But the return of baseball was not smooth. When the season, when the season rolled around, it was the only junior to be cut from a varsity baseball team. I was sent down to play with the sophomores on junior varsity. I had been playing since age 4, and for someone who had spent so much time and effort on the sport, getting cut was only 10 
I vividly remember the day it happened. I sat in my car and cried as I flipped through the radio desperately searching for a song that would make me feel better. After a year of self-doubt, I managed to make the varsity team as a senior, but I really made it on the field. In total, I played 11 innings of high school varsity baseball, barely uh, more than a single game. Despite my blockbuster high school career, I still believed I could become a great player, and I knew that if things were going to improve, I was the one responsible for making it happen. The turning point came two years after my injury, when I began college at Denison University. It was a new beginning, and it was the place where I would discover the surprising power of small habits for the first time.